Today we're going to be starting a brand new series I'm excited about. We want to talk about the Valley of Giants. How many know that there are giants in our lives that we need to slay? Anybody have any giants we need to conquer, we need to get rid of? We're going to be Looking at David and Goliath, and believe it or not, we know David fought Goliath, right? Goliath was a big dude, nine foot or so, right? So he fought Goliath, but there were many giants that David fought in 1 Samuel 17 before he even got to Goliath. While you and I may not face Goliath himself, we're going to face similar situations that we see David facing on his way to to Goliath. So it'll make sense as we get into it today. The first giant we're going to talk about is the giant of bitterness. How many know being bitter doesn't make you better? Right? Being bitter just absolutely doesn't make you better. When we allow unforgiveness to fester in our hearts, the result is bitterness. Does that ever happen in marriages? There was a man who, um, I guess it did happen in his marriage. He said, my wife and I promised that we would never go to bed angry. And then he said, I've been sleeping on the couch for the past seven years. So uh, another man says, when I have an argument with my wife, she doesn't get hysterical. She gets historical. So she pulls up everything that ever happened. There was a woman, though, they you know, women can deal with bitterness as well. Uh, the woman had an ad in the classifieds that said, wedding dress for sale, never worn, will trade for a thirty-eight caliber pistol. Wow. So trade the wedding dress for a pistol. And one last thought here. There was a police officer who was called to go to a situation. He had to go to a house The chief called him and said, we have an interesting case here. A woman shot her husband for stepping on the floor. She just mopped. Wow. So the chief asked the guy a little bit later, did you go in and arrest her yet? He said, no. The chief says, why haven't you? And he says, the floor's still wet. So he learned, I am not going in and stepping on this lady's floor Listen, we need to forgive those who hurt us, right? We can be angry and have resentment and bitterness, but that will keep us from doing everything that God wants us to do. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. Uh, 1 Samuel 17. I love the story of David and Goliath. Anybody else? It's a great story. Like I said, as we analyze this, we're, we're going to see that there's at least four potential giants Little giants, smaller than Goliath, but these four things could have easily distracted David. They could have kept David from actually facing the giant that God called him to face. Did you know in our lives, we have things that can keep us from facing what God wants us to. We're going to talk about bitterness today. It absolutely can tie us up and keep us from doing what God would have and having a, a successful, effective life for the kingdom of God. First Samuel 17, we're going to be cruising through um, the first 11 verses rather quickly just to set the background. It says, the Philistines now mustered their army for battle. Who were the Philistines? The bad guys, right? Everybody say, boo! Boo, right? Philistines, bad guys, all right? The Israelites in this story are the good guys. 
So what do we say when we say the Israelites? Ready? Israelites. Yay. Yay. You guys are quick. All right. Philistines. Boo. Boo. Israelites. Yay. Yay. So as we go through the story, if we see their names, feel free to just boo or yay as we go through, okay? It's summer. It's August. We have Rita's water ice. Some of us are distracted. We need everything we can to help pay attention today. Here we go. The Philistines now mustered uh, their army for battle and camped between this city and that city. You can look at it. You can read it on your own. Here we go. Uh, Saul, King Saul of the Israelites, he countered them by gathering his Israelite troops near the Valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites... They faced each other on opposite hills with a valley between them. Then Goliath, he gets a boo too. Boo! A Philistine champion from Gath came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed uh, 125 pounds. So his armor was 125 pounds. That's like one of my legs. No, I'm not that big. But it's a, it's a lot of weight, right? A lot of weight. Uh, he also wore bronze leg armor. And he carried a bronze javelin on his, on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver beam. Tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed, what, 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying his shield. Can you imagine the armor bearer in front of him is carrying this heavy shield, right? Goliath was a big, impressive man. Uh, Goliath stood and boo and shouted a taunt across the Israelites. All right. And here's his voice. Why are all of you coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion. And you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Can't believe you guys yayed that statement. I defy the armies of Israel. (laughs) Send a man to fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. So, yeah, this is, this is a, a crazy, crazy thing. So you see Goliath is huge. He's impressive. They're, they're, bat- they're sitting on a hill getting ready to battle, and all of a sudden the biggest mammer jammer in the world comes out nine feet tall. He's, he's just a monstrous guy. Let's do this. You send a man, I send a man, I kill him, then you're ours. Right? But if you beat me, which isn't going to happen... You know, I guess we could serve you too. Hey, it's only fair, <laughs> right? Uh, Goliath, big, impressive guy, and David shows up, and uh, we see that around verse 12, David showed up. Who is David? This is King David, but he's a little kid at this point. We think maybe 12 or so, something like that. He's a, he's a young man. He's a guy who played the harp for Saul back in Israel, and at some point, Saul left for war, and David went home. David had three older brothers who were serving in the army with Saul. So David's three older brothers are are on the one hill. David is home with his dad and his other brothers, and his dad says, hey, Davey, 
You probably called him Davy. Davy, come here. Yeah, I want you to go take some cheese and take some supplies and go give them to your brothers down fighting on the war. Go be the UPS guy and go deliver some stuff to them. His dad just really wanted to know what was going to happen, right? Go down, find out what's happening. Come back and, re- and report to me. I know they're, they're battling. They're, on, they're battling somebody. Go down and see what's happening. So they sent David to do that. Verse 16 tells us what that Goliath was doing this taunting thing every morning for how long? Do you see that verse 16? 40 days. For, listen, it would get old in 40 minutes, right? 40 days this guy is coming out and he's challenging the other people. Look at verse 17 and 18. This is where we're going to start uh, pulling out some application to see more of David's life. It says, one day, Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and ten loaves of bread and go carry them to see your brother. See what they're doing. Skip down to verse 20. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and he set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse, his dad, had directed him. When he arrived at the camp, he arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield. This, this verse is great. Uh, soon the Israelites and the Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army, David left his things with the keeper of the supplies and he hurried down to the ranks to greet his brothers. And as he was talking to them, his brothers, Goliath. So David's here one day and he sees, oh, something's happening. And he leaves his his boxes, right, from Amazon or whatever his dad ordered. And he ran down to go see his brothers. He sees them over there. And as he shows up, here comes Goliath again. Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out and from the Philistine ranks, came out in front of them, and David heard him shout his usual taunt, that whole spiel we just read. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Interesting. The Israelite army had hype, but they had no heart. Verse 20 and verse 24 are are interesting. It says, when David arrived, the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield. So they were leaving their tents with shouts of battle cries. So they're getting ready to, to, to go to war. And they're like, all right, we're going to get them today, everybody. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they're chanting, they're shouting, and they walk down, and they're standing in line. And as soon as they saw Goliath again, they began to step back and run away in fright. Isn't that interesting? I picture the Three Stooges or Bugs Bunny or all the shows, if you remember from back in the day, they would do this one bit over and over again where if there's a tough guy and he's like, one of you, step over this line, you know, or, or step up. Who wants to step forward to fight me? And what did everybody do? They'd step back and leave the one guy who didn't know having to fight the big guy, right? It would always happen on the Three Stooges or whatever. So it's kind of like that. They're going to war. God is good. We're going to win. Whatever whatever their chant was, right? Brian, do you have any military chants you can give me, man? Brian, do you have any military chants from the Coast Guard you can give me? Did they have have any cadences or something with marching? Did you guys do that? You don't want to do it right now. Okay, but you did that kind of stuff, right? Like you would have chances stuff to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, well, thank you for not giving us any that weren't church appropriate too. I don't know if that ever happened or not. But the same kind of thing. I love the fact that they're so excited. And they're like, here comes Goliath. And they all do this. 
And David's standing there like, what is up? What is up? Moving on. Have you seen the giant? Verse 25, the men asked. They're talking to David now. Have you seen the giant? He comes out each day to defy Israel. And the king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife and his entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. How many's like, that's the best part? How many of you would say like, yeah, well, you're, I don't know. He, he, somebody fight him. He'll give his, his daughter as your, uh, as your wife. Yeah, it's fine. You won't have to pay taxes, son. You're going, right? Get, get out there. Get out there and try. So it says, and then David asked the soldiers, verse 26, standing nearby. He goes, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? <laughs> Who is this pagan Philistine anyway? that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God. And the men gave David the same reply. Yep, yep, that's the reward that you get for killing him. So David, while it's been famously said, and I, I would agree, David, everybody saw a guy, right, that was so big they couldn't defeat him. David saw a guy that was so big he couldn't miss. Because David was spending time with God. David was home as a shepherd boy writing songs like this. As he's sitting on the shepherd, you know, in, in the field, watching the sheep, looking up at the sky, just talking to God. And God inspired him, put his Holy Spirit on his heart to write many songs that we would call the Psalms. Here's one of them you know. Can you picture him sitting there, laying down his staff, breaking out a piece of leather? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? He, right, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, David would go on and say, right? Though I walk through the valley of what? The shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they come for me. Those words from Psalm 23 has touched us and encouraged us for many, many, many years. Now we're going to look at verse 28 and 29, and we're going to look at, that was the context of where we are. Okay, David sees Goliath. Now let me show you some other giants that could have sabotaged David. Today we're, we're only going to talk about one, and we're going to see it in three verses, verse 28, 29, and 30. And the first one is, I've already told you, bitterness. Look at this. When David's older brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. David, verse 29, what have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. So what are we seeing here? We see David being attacked, right? David certainly had opportunity to be bitter. So David's looking, God was working in his heart, and he sees this giant, and David's wondering why everybody else is fearful, and here's this giant. Somebody has to do something about this. Why aren't you guys doing this? And his own older brothers just begin to attack him, just for looking over that way. David was being attacked. 
Let's talk about Eliab for a second. What, what's he doing? He's accusing David of being prideful, right? Prideful, sneaky, irresponsible. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be watching? Lazy. His older brother. Anybody have an older brother accuse you of stuff? Or a family member accuse you of things and think you're no good and, and everything? So, so that's it. Eliab knew David though, right? David was Eliab's little brother. Do you think there could be any weight to what Eliab said? I think there probably was. I think as his older brother, he probably always gave David a hard time. I mean, earlier when, when Samuel, if you know the story, Samuel was coming to an, anoint a new king, and they left David outside in a sheep pen. They weren't even going to get him to see if God wanted David as king. David was, was considered a nobody. And some of Eliab's words were probably true. There were probably times in David's life where he was immature. There were probably times, no doubt, when he would just make mistakes and, and fall asleep on a job or not do what he was supposed to do. Why do I say that? Because we're all like that, right? We've all had times where we didn't do a job perfectly, especially as a little kid. We would mess up and do things wrong. And here we see Eliab is just getting to him. Because maybe at times David dropped the ball or tried to get out of work or whatever. David could have been bitter. David had all the opportunity in the world to be bitter right here. But can I tell you that giant of bitterness is a distraction from what God was calling David to do. Right? Are you with me today? There was a giant that David was to fight that day. And if he would have got tangled up with his brother with nonsense and family squabbles or whatever, he could have just been so focused and so distracted by that that he just walks away mad. In fact, that's what his brother even wanted him to do. And look at what David does. Verse 30. The first giant was bitterness. Here's David's response. Ready? He walks away. Look at verse 30. He walked over to some others and asked them, this, asked them the same thing and received the same answer. If you read that quickly, you'll miss it. His brothers are attacking him. David is like, gosh, I'm just asking a question. What have I done now? You know, the inference here is every time you wanted me to do something for you, it's never good enough. It's never good enough. I serve, I work, it's never good enough. What have I done now? I was only asking, you know what? And then he walks away from him. He walked over and continued doing what he was doing before. I'm not spending time with you guys. I'm going to go over and begin to interview some other soldiers. He walked away from his brother and kept doing what he was doing before. Can I say this? Sometimes there are people in our own lives that we need to walk away from, right? If you've had any kind of life experience, you know that there are some people from your past that are better off not being a part of your future. Isn't that true? Some, sometimes God wants to work in your life. He wants to deliver you. He has big goals and dreams for you. And if you get 
caught up with people, even loved ones, even family members, can be a distraction that can cause anger and bitterness and resentment and keep you from doing what God is calling you to do. And what we need to do is to keep the main thing the main thing. David was spending time with God. He loved God. He had a sense of his presence. He's writing psalms, you know, songs of praise to God. He shows up. Who is this guy defying the living God? And his brother's like, you just shut up, bro. You just go home. What's wrong with you? And David, I love the fact that he just, I'm just moving on. I'm, I'm, it's, it's fine. Sometimes we need to let go of people in our past in order to be what God wants us to be. Over time, relationships change, don't they? Anybody, you, you can think back, I don't know, maybe even a long time ago, your first job, maybe, and you had friends, and you thought you were going to be friends forever, right? And then you just kind of move on. You don't see them anymore. Anybody else have that experience? Or maybe high school. Maybe you signed in a yearbook. Friends forever. Keep in touch, right? And all those kind of things. And then you just never see people. Sometimes you do. But it's, but it's very hard to do that, right? And what happens too? Sometimes the people you were close with before, they change. And sometimes, honestly, we change. Sometimes it's for the better. Sometimes the things we used to do, we don't do anymore. Maybe because we're bored of them or we got married or whatever. Sometimes it's a God thing and he doesn't want us to do that anymore. So we change and relationships change. Sometimes it's family members that move on. Sometimes it's people who serve God. Stop serving God. Have you had that experience? You had to have if you've been a Christian any amount of time. You're walking with brothers and sisters in the Lord, and all of a sudden, they just stop. And you think, what happened? What happened? Right? That, that experience, can I tell you, if you're frustrated with that experience, that's not new to you. The guy who wrote the old song, I believe it came from India, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Right? I believe it's a, it's a traditional worship song that I think the roots were from India, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. That last, it might be the last verse. Written, listen to the heart. Though none go with me, still I will follow. This is a man or woman who's broken, that knows Jesus, that had others probably walking with them, but they turned away. I'm still going to follow. Though none go with me, the world behind me, the cross before me. Sometimes people give up and they stop. And we have to guard against that. David's brother just could not see a giant whom God would have no problem hitting. Couldn't see that at all. David had to walk away. Sometimes it's even other Christians. Sometimes it's even people who have even left the church. Maybe they're even still Christians, but they've allowed bitterness to sour their hearts. And even though their lives show nothing but the fruit of bitterness, they still blame everybody else. The world is full of people who have stopped serving God, and they want to blame everybody else for why they stopped serving God. I knew a pastor a long time ago, 20-some years ago. 
I didn't even know this man was a pastor, actually. I knew his wife. His wife was somebody that I went to church with. She was a nice lady who would serve and help. And then all of a sudden I hear that she has a, well, she had a, a pretty bad husband at home who would treat her bad. And then come to find out he used to be a pastor. You're like, what? Somehow he allowed the bitterness of other people to infect his heart. He didn't forgive people. I don't really know his personal story, but I know when it was all said and done, we saw somebody who was just bitter at the world, who hated everybody, and it was everybody else's fault, and it wasn't their own fault. Can I say this before we move on? Okay, I, The only thing that's going to keep me from being the man that God wants me to be, the only person who can keep me from being the man God wants me to be is who? It's me. The only person who can keep me from being the husband God called me to be is who? Is it my wife? No, it's me. It's me, right? I I can't make her love me or make her do anything or make her be nice. You You should see how she treats me sometimes. I'm kidding. But no, but, but seriously, even if you have a spouse that, that treats you poorly, you can still be the best spouse you can be. You can't change them, but you can do you, right? It's the only thing you can do is, is, do, is do you, is focus on you. That was the whole fireproof movie. If you saw that movie with Kirk Cameron, his wife wasn't loving him. And throughout the movie, he decided instead of reacting to her negativity, I have to be who God's called me to be and love like Jesus loves unconditionally, right? I can't allow bitterness to get involved in my heart. What could keep me from being the best dad I could ever be? Could my wife keep me from being the best dad that I can personally be? No. Can my daughter? No. Only me. I am the only one who can keep me from being the best dad I can be. And you're in the same situation. And you can say, well, maybe, maybe there's a divorce or something. Maybe there's other circumstances. And I understand those things. Maybe some of those things are outside of your hands. Maybe there's a custody battle and you're only allowed to see your kid for five minutes a month. I can understand those things. But for those five minutes, you could be the best dad in the world for five minutes, right? Other people can limit you, but you and I, we can take advantage of the time that God has given us to be the best. Even if it's only via a phone call, even if you're only allowed to make a phone call, you can make sure you're not missing that phone call because you're busy. You can make that phone call and be loving. Does that make sense, right? So you and I, in our roles, we can be the best we can be. Other people can limit us but we can still be the best that we can be and not allow bitterness to break us down. Sometimes the giant that slays us is bitterness. Well, you haven't met my spouse. Well, I don't have to, really. You know, it's, it's you just do you. And you just love and you just forgive. That's why Paul tells, when in, in the New Testament, Paul speaks to people who, they're married, one person comes to Jesus and the other person doesn't. When, when they're not married, Paul says, break up. Don't be together. Don't be unequally yoked. But if you're already married, you're already committed. Paul says, don't leave your unbelieving spouse. Maybe it'll rub off, you know? Evangelistic dating does not work. But if you're already married, you're already committed before God, maybe it'll rub off. Maybe you can change that. But all you can do is be you. And Paul says, if your spouse wants to leave you, then let them leave. 
let them leave. If you're a Christian and they're not, and they want to leave you and, and they're just a whatever, you just keep serving Jesus and God will provide. But you don't walk away from, from that situation because you have a covenant in marriage. But still, you don't allow the bitterness of the other person to keep you from moving on. Sometimes people hurt us, right? Anybody ever been hurt by others? Right? Sometimes, can I tell you, it's the closest people who hurt you? Can I share with you a psalm? We're going to look at a few verses. This is a psalm from David, right? This David is going to fight Goliath. He's maybe later on in his life, we're not sure who he's speaking about, but in Psalm chapter 55, he starts speaking about somebody who has wounded his heart, probably later on as an adult. And it says this, Psalm 55, verse 12 through 14, it is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It is not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion and close friend. Look at verse 14. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. David himself has also seen people, even church people, he would go to church with them. And they're his, his enemy now, his close friend. Look a few more verses later on in Psalm 55. You can read this later on your own. He says this, As for my companion, this person, he betrayed his friends. He broke his promises. His words are as smooth as butter. But in his heart is war. His words are as soothing as a lotion, but underneath are daggers. Speaking of this person who used to attend church with David. Verse 22, though, this is David right in context. The next verse, David says this to those of you who have been heartbroken before by close friends, by family members, by church people, whatever, he says, Give your burdens to the Lord. And he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. Bitterness is this. It's drinking deadly poison and waiting for somebody else to die. Now this week we're not getting up to David actually fighting Goliath. We're going to see a few places, just three more Giants, the kinds of giants that we face that can distract us from the ultimate goal in our lives. So we see bitterness here from a close family member. And thank God we don't see David falling into the bitterness trap. We could see in his reaction there was some pain there. Oh my gosh, I can't do anything right. You know, you could see that a little bit. There was some fresh wounds there from his older brother. And then he just walked, okay. He just changed the channel in his mind. This isn't worth the distraction. God is good. He has a plan. I'm I'm done, and I move on. So three things we're going to talk about, responses to bitterness that we can take personally. Okay, The first one is this. Forgive. Forgive. We need to forgive others. We need to forgive others. Forgiveness is when we... um, We just let it go into God's hands. We let go and we give it to God. If somebody hurts you, that's what forgiveness is. It's not feeling good about the person. It is not signing up to give them a birthday cake. 
you know, or sending them a card or whatever. It's not any of those things. It's just for, forgiveness is giving it up and letting God handle it. If somebody took something from you, if somebody smashed your car or whatever they did, something that hurt you maybe, maybe emotionally. Again, if it's a police issue, there is nothing wrong with calling the cops if somebody hurt you or abused the child. We do those things. We call the police. We have scriptures and Bible that tell us to obey the laws of the land. But how many know even if you go to trial, you call the cops, you go to trial, you go to court, you get a verdict, you still have forgiveness issues, right? If somebody hurts you, what do we need to do? We need to forgive. How important is forgiveness? Jesus said, if you don't forgive, your father in heaven won't forgive you. Here's why. Because your unforgiveness becomes cancer in your heart and it spreads and you begin to think negatively about everything. And it keeps you from doing God wants you to do. Like I said, bitterness is like you're drinking poison hoping it hurts the next guy. It only hurts you. It doesn't hurt the next guy. In a small way, we see this when we're driving and somebody cuts us off. And we get road rage, right? Anybody? Is it just me? Somebody does something dumb cut you off and whatever, and you're mad. I could be mad. I'm telling you, I don't think of myself as somebody that harbors a lot of grudges, but I could be five minutes later. That guy was, can you believe that guy? My wife's like, honey, he's gone. He's home. He already moved on. He doesn't even remember you. Let it go, right? Let it go. So forgiveness is letting it go. The Bible tells us that God is the great judge. Here's why you and I can let it go before we move on to the next one. Says in Romans, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Right? He says, I will pay them back. So we can trust that God is the great judge who knows how to do his job. How many know God can do his job? And he's going to handle it. So when you're forgiving somebody, that doesn't mean you need to feel good about Uncle Larry who loses your tools all the time. It also doesn't mean you have to let Uncle Larry borrow your toolbox again. You don't have to do that at all. But forgiveness is you don't run over Uncle Larry when you see him in your yard and you don't go steal his hammer because he lost your hammer. You don't go and say, how's this, Uncle Larry, when he's not looking to take his hammer. That's not forgiveness. I I talked to somebody once about forgiveness and I said, you need to forgive this person. You need to let it go. And And this person said, I'm fine. Veins are popping. They're dead to me. I'm fine. I've moved on. I'm fine if I never talk to them again. And I'm like, you haven't moved on. You have all of this emotional baggage. You're still attached to them. And honestly, if somebody hurts you, you wear a little name tag over your heart that says victim every time you bring those things back. Every time you bring those thoughts back, you're, you're the victim again. And they're controlling you. Your refusal to to forgive is giving your victimizer control over you again like a puppet master. When you forgive and give it to God, you're saying, God, take this, 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 this name tag of victim. I am no longer a victim. And you give it to Jesus. You paid for it. I am a child of God. And I trust that you will get a hold of them and take care of it. And you move on. And God says, I promise you, I will pay them back. Vengeance is mine. So that's forgiveness. You have to, you have to give it up. 
The other part of that quickly is if you hurt somebody else, and if it's appropriate, you need to ask for forgiveness or to restore something if you hurt somebody else. Sometimes it's not possible because maybe you hurt somebody and they passed away. But it may actually be helpful just to go and if somebody passed away and you need to deal with stuff, to go to maybe a grave site and have a conversation as best you can or maybe write a note to the person even if you can't deliver it. You need to be able to to do that if, if, if possible and you hurt somebody else, you need to seek out to make it right. Sometimes years have gone and things bother you and you know if you get back in touch with that person, you're going to stir up bad stuff and hurt them somehow. Then, then maybe it might be better to let things go. If it was a previous marriage and somebody else is newly married, you don't have to tell their spouse something you did 20 years ago or what, you know what I mean? Sometimes you just eat it and you take it to Jesus. But there are times, though, when it's just our pride keeping us from dealing, th- dealing with things. We need to let it go. If you can't forgive somebody, ask Jesus. He will help you. If you need forgiveness, reach out to somebody. If it's not appropriate and not possible, talk to Jesus. Talk to Jesus, and he will forgive you, and he will help you. Moving on, you need to guard your heart. Guard your heart. See, I think that's what David was doing. He just walked away. He just changed the channel. Here's why. Bitter people are contagious, right? Anybody? Bitter people are contagious. Listen, that's worse than the guy coughing. How many, doesn't, how many people don't want our greeter to be in the back and be like, <coughs> how you doing? Welcome to Solid Rock. You don't want that. You're like, whoa, keep that junk at home, right? I know I'm friends with the pastor from Millville Assembly, uh, Pastor Dingle, him and his wife. I was able to eat uh, lunch with them the other week. And he mentioned that Pastor Kenyon, if you know him, he still goes there. He's 89, I think. 88, 89, I think 88. And uh, he goes to church there, and he said they had to tell him he's doing well. I said, how's Pastor Kenyon? They said they had to ask him to stay home. And I said, why? They said he's got a, he just happens to have a really bad infection and, and pneumonia. I think he's better now, but they said, you have to stay home. And he says, I can't miss church. I can't miss church. I love Jesus so much. And they said, yeah, but we don't want what you got. Stay home. And, and he stayed home. He, uh, somebody called him and check up on him. And he says, I'm not allowed in church till I get better, you know. But, but that stuff can be contagious. Listen, bitterness can be contagious. We have to guard our heart. I've told you stories of me being at Valley Forge, even among fellow pastors at Bible school. And I'm sitting with guys, and we would talk during chapel, and we just had bitter people. I don't know what happened in their walk with God, but they just got bitter and they're supposed to be pastors in the future. And we would have chapel speakers come and they're, they're laughing and making fun of the chapel speakers. I swear to you, what I did was, you know, I just found a new seat. Like, I'm not going to be a part of these guys. I'm going to school because I love Jesus and I want him to work in my life. I'm not going to sit back and mock somebody who's done way more than I have ever done. That's absurd. So I actually, in all honesty, I went from back row to front row, which is, which is crazy. And I just sat by myself, but I allowed God to speak to me every morning. I tell you, it was better to be alone than it is to be with a group of people who are bitter. It will kill you spiritually. It will kill you. And I have some verses we'll look at to prove it if you don't believe me. 
1 Corinthians 15, 33. Bad, why don't we read this together? It'll be fun. It'll be exciting, ready? Bad company corrupts good character. So true. You can have a heart for God and somebody can mess you up. How many know that there are people in your life who bless you and then there's people who suck from you, right? And they just, they're joy suckers. It's like they got a vacuum cleaner or something. And, and you're like, man, I, I, oh, it was awesome. I just had a good day. And it's like, and they suck it right out of you. If you remember the Debbie Downer skits, if you ever saw that on, on uh, Saturday Night Live when they did it, you could talk about having a new job. And they're like, yeah, but I heard that company's going out of business, so that probably won't go well for you. And you're like, What? Hey, I just got a new car. Yeah, but you'll probably get a recall. Did you hear about the people who died driving that kind of car? What? You can have people that just suck everything out of you. I'm moving on. Let's read this one together. Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get into trouble. That is why we're not Cowboys fans. Moving on. Proverbs, I'm just kidding. Proverbs 22, let's read this together. Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people or you will learn to be like them and what? Endanger your soul. When you have people who are just, you know them. Does, any, does, does anybody know anybody else who's bitter? Was this message just for me today? Right? All right. This, this is scary. Endanger your soul? I'm telling you, I've seen it. I've seen it. Here's another one. A mocker, let's read this. A mocker seeks wisdom and never finds it. Who? A mocker. But knowledge comes easily to those with understanding. Stay away from fools, for you won't find knowledge on their lips. Right? Because they'll seek wisdom, they're never going to find it. Last but not least, we know Psalm 1, 1 and 2. Let's read this together. Oh, the joys of those who who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. It's been said that you will become like the five people you spend the most time with. Who's the five people you spend the most time with? Somebody said that's, that's kind of what you're going to become like. We need to surround ourselves with good people who help. Last thought I had was to stay focused. I love David knew that God had bigger giants for him, right? Bigger giants. Have you ever left maybe church and we had a great prayer time and you're like, I'm ready to take on the world for God And you go outside and just something bad happens. You go to a gas station. We're all out of gas today, right? How, huh? Right? I've been to, you ever go to McDonald's and they're like, we're all out of fries. You didn't think anybody was going to order fries, right? They come with every meal. But things like that can mess you up. You can say, God, you're good. I want to serve you. And next thing you know, five minutes later, something distracts you. We need to move on. Forgive Guard our hearts and stay focused for what God wants us to do. So today, let's, let's ab- apply God's word this morning. If the rest of the worship team will come up, we're just going to sing one song today, part of an old hymn of surrender to God. 
If there's bitterness in your life, I want to encourage you to surrender to God today. Maybe unforgiveness, maybe somebody has hurt you. And as we saw in David's life, listen, sometimes it's a family member and they just say the things. Family members know how to hurt you worse, don't they? Because they know all your stuff. They know all your trash. We need to guard our heart. The family member can't keep you from following God. Your reaction to them can. Does that make sense? They can't keep you from doing what God wants you to do, but your reaction to them can. We need to not be reactionary to the negative people in our lives. We need to learn to change the channels and let God take care of us. Listen, there's bigger things. As a fisherman would say, there's bigger fish to fry, right? Maybe David would say, maybe, I don't know. Could you imagine him looking at his brother and he's like, you're not worth it. There's bigger giants to slay today, right? I got bigger things to do. I don't need to fight with this little squabble, your daddy's favorite, whatever. You still pee to bed. David could have said something like that, right, to his older brother. Instead, he's like, no, you're not worth it. We'll deal with this later. I have God's stuff to do. Can I pray for you today? Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, as we, as we go to prayer today, God, I pray that you would help our church today, help every single one of us to be people who don't focus on negativity. But God, we focus on you and what you want to do in and through us. I thank you for family. I thank you for friends, even church family, church friends. But God, I pray that we would, we would be discerning and we would know, Lord, that you need to be number one in our lives and we would not allow anybody to bring us back. I pray that we would slay the giants of bitterness today. Help us, God. If there's people that we need to forgive, I pray today, right now, you would help us to forgive. If there's other pains and things, God, we give it to you. I pray today that we would learn to be content in you because we know you are the source of all blessing. And what you think of us, that's what really matters, not what everybody else thinks of us. Today we honor you. We exalt you. We surrender everything to you. In Jesus' name, amen.